0: I'm going to go ahead and see how many of you guys have a cell phone with you. Just hold it up for me, real quick. Uh, Hold up your cell phone. I want to see. I I would guess almost everybody does. Now, I want to see if you have the Facebook app on your or some sort of social media app. I want you to hold up your phone if you've got that with you right now. That's going to be a part of the message today. So I'm going to ask, actually, encourage you to keep that out. Um, Keep your Facebook out this morning. That's exactly what you're not used to hearing. Uh, but that's kind of what I want you to do as part of this message is have your Facebook out. I want you to kind of be looking at, at that because um, I want to talk a little bit about what Facebook or social media means to me and the, and the tool that it is. Um, I'm used to hearing people say all the time uh, things like, uh, man, I got to get off Facebook. I, I got to take a break from Facebook. All I do is look at my phone. Uh, we typically talk about Facebook and social media in our phones like that, like this is This is an incredible vice, and I know for many people it is, uh, that this is a horrible thing. Uh, For me, my phone um, actually means a great deal to me. I keep it out a lot, and I'm proud of that. Um, I I think it's bizarre that people hate their phone as much as they do. My Bible is on my phone. It's probably the primary thing I look at. Um, And my Facebook is on my phone, and that's the second thing I look at. But I don't look at Facebook because I care about whether I look better than somebody else or they look better than I do, or are they impressed with where I am in life, any of this kind of junk. That's not what I do on Facebook. Any of you who are friends with me on Facebook know that I'm probably not engaging in a whole lot of your political discussions, whether it's refugees, um, guns, uh, whatever the hot topic is of the day, I'm generally not there with you. Um, Sometimes I'll post just one small thing, but my Facebook means the world to me. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why and what a tool this is. And I think we, we really lose sight of what we have in front of us. When, when If Paul knew that I have an app on my phone, which he wouldn't understand any of that language. But if he understood that they're right here in front of me. I've got access to hundreds of people right there. That are in Texas, that are across the world, that are in South America, that are in Mexico, that are all over the world. I have access to all of these people 24-7 in the middle of this sermon. I could, if I had the ability to think, I I could send a message to radically impact somebody's life. I could do that. It's all right here at my fingertips. But I think Facebook is just a tool to look at to find out what clever things and who's on what side of what political debate. And I've turned it into something incredibly shallow. The most powerful powerful weapon in this world by far is the tongue. The most powerful weapon in this world by far is the pen. And every single one of us has this, and I'm going to talk about this and bring it into 2 Corinthians and why this means so much. But if we were to pull out our social media, and I want you, maybe just go to your friends list and just scroll down it. And I think about people, and and this is a beautiful way to pray, by the way. Pray with your Facebook out. What Seriously. Go go down your, your friends list and just sit, sit there. And I'm thinking about... And I'm just thinking out loud right now, man. I'm looking at people. I was like, man, I performed his wedding a few years ago, man. And he's living in a place where I know he's lonely. He and his wife are in a place where they need friends. They don't have strong connections with their church. Man, I need to send them a note of encouragement. Franco, man, I know how bad I want to be with you. You're my boy. I love you, man. I, and, and you just think about this, and I go down this, this list. Jamie, Jamie, man, you're about to go to the mission field. This is crazy. I could use this opportunity to send you something. And I could just go down this list and think about, this is an amazing opportunity for me to impact lives. And it's right there at all of our fingertips. I have a few friends, um, and and some of you, I I know Carrie and Becky Holton, I love following their Facebook feeds because they're constantly, man, this is today's devotional. This is how God's working in my life. Setting the tone of Facebook instead of responding to the tone of Facebook. Setting the tone. Um, Ray Young, man, if you guys are not friends with Ray Young on Facebook, you don't have to know who he is. Find him and be his friend. Because the man is amazing. And every day he gets on Facebook and shares a video of himself. And he just says, man, this is God's word to my life right now. And he's doing something powerful with social media. I want to bring that into 2 Corinthians here in just a minute. And I want to, I want to talk about a message that, a chapter that's actually really hard. Um, this is what's happening in the context of, of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and we're kind of getting back into that into chapter seven, but, He keeps discussing, and I'm just going to read two verses, 2 Corinthians 2, 4, and 2 Corinthians 7, 8. This is what they say. I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. He says in chapter 7, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. How about that? Um, and I'm going to talk about what he's referring to too, but if it's 1 Corinthians that he's talking about in his previous letter, you actually have Paul saying, I regret writing it. How about that for a little quiz question? 1 Corinthians might be a book that Paul, at least for a time, regretted writing. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Um, A lot of people think that this, it's called his letter of tears or his severe letter. What Paul is talking about is, is either the addendum at the end of 2 Corinthians, the final chapters of 2 Corinthians. I think that's that's ridiculous. It doesn't fit the theme. Maybe a letter that hasn't been discovered or something like that. I really think he is addressing 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to talk about why. And I'm going to talk about the things that he says in 1 Corinthians that really are quite harsh. Now, when you think of 1 Corinthians, man, we're used to quoting the big verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run? Run in such a way that you'll achieve the, the crown, right? He's going to say in 15, uh, 58. Uh, Therefore, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You're used to 1 Corinthians 13, man. This beautiful chapter on love. But I want to expose something that's at the heart of 1 Corinthians. Uh, There's a lot of this. um, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to respond to your letter about marriage, uh, meat sacrifice to idols, head coverings, the Lord's Supper, giving spiritual gifts. He's going to address all of that. But I'm going to read some excerpts from 1 Corinthians just so you can see why he's talking about this as a painful letter. These are things he says throughout 1 Corinthians. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants, you're still worldly. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many dads. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you a whip, with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit? And then in 1 Corinthians 5, he says this, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even exist among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put this person out of fellowship? I've already passed judgment on the one who did this. Hand this man over to Satan. Your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. You must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral. With such a man, don't even eat. Expel the man from among you. He goes on and says, I say this to shame you. In chapter six, he says, you have been completely defeated already. In chapter 11, he says, I have no praise for you. Your meetings are doing more harm than good. In chapter 13, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Then in the next chapter, he says, stop thinking like children. And this is actually a book. Here's another thing that he says that just blew my mind. How about how he closes 1 Corinthians? If anyone does not love the Lord, may the Lord curse him. Man, Paul just called a curse on people. That's how he closes 1 Corinthians. Now that is the heart of what was in 1 Corinthians. Man, it's not the book that you read that you're like, this is incredibly encouraging. It is dark and it is hard and it, is to the, it cuts to the bone. It is really a rebuke to this church. Now, Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, and it's not like Facebook. It's not like that, because when you write a letter and you send it to Corinth, Titus carries it there, let's say. And when Titus is gone, he has no idea what's going on. How are they going to respond to me? I don't know if you've ever had to, if you've ever been put in a situation where you had to write a letter or say something or confront somebody. And you just don't know how it's going to go. But in love, you are drawn that you have to confront somebody. You have to rebuke somebody. You have to do something like this. And the weight that you see on Paul. And we're going to kind of get into chapter 7 here in just a second. But this weight that you feel that's on him is like unbearable. I, I, man, I, I don't want to lose my relationship with you. I love you. And that's exactly why I had to say what I had to say. Um, I use Facebook a lot. And I'm almost always just using private messages. I'm always thinking about sending people messages. I want to encourage you. I want to hit you. But a lot of times I do have to address somebody about the attitude. The way they're representing Christ or not representing Christ. And things like this. And I, I maintain that. And I want it to be a place where we glorify God in all that we do. Um, I think a healthy way to approach it. Is to put Facebook on your right, put the Bible on your left, hit your knees in prayer, and don't think of any avenue of your life as being, well, that's just recreational. This is a powerful tool to impact people for for, for God. And that's why I love 2 Corinthians so much as a book, is you see this man that throughout the book keeps saying, I live my life as before God. I speak as one sent from God, as before God. And he constantly says, I am in God's presence. And, and I, re- I recognize his presence right now. And, 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 and when I speak to you, it's because I'm in this worship, I'm in this prayer before my God, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. Um, when I, when I came to Fort Collins, the night that I came here, and I've shared with this story some of you before, but it's super relevant um, to this message. The night that I left Austin, we, we packed the moving truck. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stress in making sure your house is, is exactly how it needs to be when you're leaving it, making sure everything is completely clean, um, making sure everything is packed, ready to go. A lot of our stuff was going into storage. All this stress that was going... And I had to leave Melinda that night uh, because I got a call that an incredible disaster was going on with the family in our church. Um, and this is my last night in Austin uh, before I came to Colorado. And it was one of the worst disasters I had ever, ever been confronted with. And I had to go to this, this young man's house and his, dad, his, his uh, mom and his dad had just split up that night. Dad was out. It was so serious that uh, a police officer from our church was sitting down the road from me. called me on my phone and said he was watching. And just to let him know if there were any problems. The lady was sitting on a gun. It was a disaster. It was absolutely terrifying. And this young man could barely speak. And he was just in his room and he didn't want to talk to me. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm just Devastated that I have to leave this guy that is my heart. I love him so much to this day, and I had to leave him there and go to Colorado and feel like I was such a failure and walking out. And the reason it hurt so bad is it was just a couple of months earlier that I had the hardest talk with him that I had ever had with anybody. When he had fallen into a very deep sin that I became aware of and I was in the mountains with him in Colorado here, And uh, I had to go sit down with him. And uh, I was with Jason. Jason was in a tent with me. And I actually, I think I had Jason pray over me because I was so angry. I was so upset that I didn't know how to talk without just losing my mind. So I took him out in the woods and we sat on a log together. And I could barely get words out. I was crying and I said, what on earth are you doing and I poured my heart out to this young man and I left him in tears and the words that I said I think could be very hurtful. And so all of that happened and I came to Fort Collins and it was just disaster. And I share that story because two days ago my phone rings and it's this young man who's a youth minister now. And I've been so proud of him over the years that as soon as I left, left a youth group. It was a pretty large youth group with no youth minister. They didn't have a youth minister for a year. This young man stood up and he was the most amazing influence ever. Encouraged, led. He goes to school and now he's a youth minister and he calls me up and he says, I've never told you this and I had to find your number and I had to call you. Because I had to tell you, the most powerful moment of my life was on that log. The most powerful moment of my life is when you sat down with me and spoke to me and spoke truth to me. And it's so hard when you, you've got that burden on you and you're like, I don't want to do this, man. I just want to be friends. Can we just talk about soccer? Can we just have fun? Can we? And to have to do that with somebody where you pour out your heart and you pour out your life, but the impact it can end up having on somebody is so incredible. It says this in, um, in Proverbs. I have to get to it in a second because iPhones are stupid. Okay, iPhones are stupid. Um, I'm going to get into 2 Corinthians 7 and uh, get to my camera roll here. All right. I'm just going to begin reading in verse 1. It says this. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I don't say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live with you or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. The reason he says this, before I continue on into verse 7, is because he's waiting for a response. He's written this very difficult letter. And he's waiting on a response and Titus is coming and he says, this is the news. This is where they're at. This is where Corinth is. And it goes on. He says this. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. And then he says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proven, proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you've not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in all of you. Um, it says, I, "I finally figured out how to work my phone." It Says this in um, in uh, Proverbs fifteen, verse thirty two: "He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding." I want to ask you, uh, you know, kind of this morning, because I'm putting you on both sides of this this um, uh, equation. Uh, sometimes you're the one doing the rebuking. Sometimes you've got to be the one that loves somebody enough to confront something, somebody in love. One of the most amazing parents that I got to watch parent their kids uh, when I was in ministry in in Texas, I saw how their kids were, and I said, I just want to ask you, man, what what do you do in parenting? What is it about you? And they said this, he says, you have to spank their bottoms and hug their necks, and make sure you're hugging their necks as much as you're spanking their bottoms. In other words, he, j- he was just saying this. Man, you discipline your kids, but make them sure they know how much you love them. See that love in you. And that's what Paul does throughout his letters. He has that kind of love for people that he'll confront somebody about something like this. But then there's the other side of things. And this is kind of where I wanted to, to kind of conclude a lot of this. Is this whole idea of godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow and how we are responding with that. Um, I've I was thinking about this sermon this morning and I was just thinking about the names that were in here and the faces that are in here. And there are some of you that I have cried with to the point that we couldn't breathe. Um, I have seen some of you in deep, deep pain and some of you have seen me in deep, deep pain. And I know what it is to be sorrowful and have something, some event in your life, some betrayal in your life, some sin in your life, something so sick in your life that you keep thinking day after day after day, when am I going to wake up? This has got to be a nightmare. This has got to be a dream. This can't be happening. I, I know that. And the truth is, that's what Jesus promised in this world. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. And the reality is... You'll fall in love, and then there's cancer. You'll fall in love, and then there's divorce. You'll fall in love, and then there's affairs. You'll, fall in, you'll, you'll get a job, but then you're fired. You get your health, but then you lose it. Everything in this life seems to end in disaster. That's the way the world is. And I think that's why he writes, man, the sorrow of this world produces Death. And the way Paul talks about death in his letters, he's actually not talking about, because I could get into the analogy between um, Peter and Judas, the night that Christ was betrayed and how one seemed to be more of a godly sorrow and the other seemed to be a worldly sorrow. But I don't think he's talking about literal death necessarily. And Paul in his letters, he talks about people that are dead twice. They're dead on the inside and they live their life as though they're dead. They know what that kind of sorrow is. They know what that kind of sickness is. To live for a world that doesn't matter at all. And then he says this, but the godly sorrow. When you really are hurt before God and you feel this pain of your sin and the weight of your sin. Man, it actually it says, that, this is another verse in Proverbs. It produces life. Life-giving rebuke is the way rebuke is spoken of in the book of Proverbs. Life-giving That all of a sudden I recognize who I am before God. And it's like Joel said in Joel chapter two, rend your heart and not your garments. When I recognize who I am and what my sin is before the Lord, the church in Corinth, get this. The church in Corinth had come to a place in their walk with God that they have all kinds of sickness going on in their family. They, 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 they have so much pride. There's divisions. Sexual immorality, accepting all kinds of junk, and the realm of sin. The addictions that were plaguing their lives were ridiculous. And then they write Paul a letter asking about theology. And they're asking about, hey, head coverings, no head coverings. Lord's Supper, all of these different things. How much of that do you see today? Deep sin in our hearts. And all we can think to do is, is debate religious topics. And God's sitting here going, are you serious? You, you're sitting here debating and arguing with other churches about all of these things while you have serious addiction and sin in your life. And this is what's happening in the church of Corinth is Paul is like, okay, I'm going to address your issues. We're going to talk about some of this. But man, I got to get to the heart. Man, you are walking away from God. And as your father, I've got to come back in and say, I want you to turn yourself back towards God. I don't know how many times someone has come to me. I mean, I, and I know the last few weeks we've touched on some topics that are hard. But I don't know how many times somebody has come to me and said, "I don't love my spouse. I'm repulsed by my spouse. Um, I'm, I, I need I, I need out of this relationship. I'm done with this. I'm done with and all this stuff. And just and just be in this place where the, it's it's almost over. Maybe in a marriage." Or some other relationship. And then I always ask the same question. I want to know where your walk with God is right now. I just want you to tell me about your walk with God. Well, it's not there. Then why are you talking about things like this? Of course you can't see your spouse through the eyes of God. You're not walking in him right now. Of course you can't see all of these relationships. You're not walking in him. And it's the same thing as if you're going to get drunk and get behind the wheel of a car. You have no business getting behind the wheel of the car because you're not sober. If you're not walking with God, you are not sober to make any decisions in your life. If you're not walking with God, you're not sober enough to get out of bed in the morning. You are going to make foolish decisions. You are going to hurt relationships and you're going to hurt people. And that's why Paul brings us back to the heart, to the core. This is what's going on. Remember when Peter, and I'm not going to get into the kind of uh, looking at Peter and and Judas and that whole situation. But when Peter has been sifted like wheat after Jesus said, man, I promise you Satan has come to me. And he's he's asked for permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that you would come back and encourage and strengthen your brothers. Acts opens with Peter standing before the assembly of the Jews and and, and standing before all of these people. And he just calls from his heart. He speaks to him he says, this is what you've done. You've crucified your Lord. You've done all of this. And he just opens up and it says this. They were cut to the heart. And they responded, what shall I do? What do I do? What, what, what do I do to get things right with my God again? And that's where he says, I want you to repent. I want you to be baptized, every single one of you, into his name. And I want you to turn on a different course in your life. What's so beautiful about some of this? And I kind of want to close with this uh, this idea of social media and Facebook because this has just been on my heart uh, as I was thinking about this message this morning and looking at 2 Corinthians 7. I want you to think about one person that if you were just to scroll on your friends list on Facebook, if you were just to think about one person that you are at odds with, somebody that you know that... You have something from God that you need to say to somebody. And it could be just, man, I need, to, I need to apologize to you. I need to confess to you. I want to mend a relationship or something like that. Or somebody that you need to reach out to. Start using these devices. Start using these things and saying, I'm going to glorify God with this. I'm going to start looking at this in every avenue of my life. And I'm going to start glorifying God by reaching people. And using this as a tool of righteousness and using everything in my life. God, I just want to glorify you with everything that I am. This, this whole idea of repentance. Um, I used this picture twice because I was thinking about what this means. I, I, I pictured Paul just crumpling up the letter and throwing it aside and thinking, man, how do I say this? How do I get the words out? How to make this sound right? I've got a friend that when we were, we, we were younger, we said to each other, man, if I ever fall away from God. Would you come after me? Would you reach me? And we both made a promise. We prayed together. We made a covenant to each other. Man, if I ever walk away from God, would you come after me? I'll come after you, man. I promise you this. And, and, and that's exactly what happened in our walk together. He went on and got degree after degree after degree in theology. And then just walked away from God entirely. And every time I contact him on Facebook, no response at all. He doesn't say anything to me. He won't respond to me. And I've just sat there and I pray and I keep writing him. And I over and over I pour into my prayer. I pour into what I'm going to say. God, reach this. Guy. But this is what happened needs to happen on both sides. And this is really the only thing you need to remember this morning is this. I need to learn to love like Paul loved, like Jesus loved. I need to learn to love like that. To where I'm willing to lose sleep. To will, I'm willing to hurt. I'm willing to even sacrifice relationships if it means reaching somebody. And on the other side of things, I need to learn to love God enough that when someone comes to me and they rebuke me. And someone is reaching my heart and they're trying to reach out to me. That because of my honor for God and because of who I am before him. Ooh, I'm that wise man that Proverbs talked about that said, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to turn my heart. I'm going to come back to God because of what he said. I know that it's true today um, that in churches, uh, in our own body, um, there are in most of our lives we've wrestled with this, there are deep, deep, serious problems and sins that we no longer see. You become oblivious to it. Corinth did this. You don't even recognize it. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in from the outside and says, how is it possible that these people walking in God, wearing the name God, have accepted things in their life that should... You remember what Jeremiah said? He says they've, they've lost their ability to blush. That you, you don't even blush at anymore. Language that we use with each other. Horrible disputes that we can get into with, e- with each other that are completely godless. And because of the society that we live in and maybe the cl- church culture that you grew up in, all of a sudden are acceptable to you because that's the kind of Christianity you learned. But walking in Christ and sitting here and listening to the words of the Spirit, you recognize sin as truly sinful. And you sit there and you recognize, this is sick. The way I'm speaking about a brother in Christ, the way I've addressed this situation, the way I have not addressed this situation, the things that I've allowed in my life, the very fact that social media has come to the point that it controls us more than us controlling it. That's shameful. We shouldn't be to the point where we're throwing out our cell phones and saying, I can't have that in my life. That's horrible in my life. We should be to the point that rather we pick it up and we look at it and say, my God, I'm going to get on my knees and I have this incredible avenue where if Paul saw this little brick in my hand and he knew that the entire Bible was on it, first off, um, and contacts to every single person that I've ever met, basically, are all right here. And I have this avenue to worship God. And instead, I'm on here play, playing some kind of marble game. Which is what I do. <laughs> and, and using social media like it's just some kind of news channel to look at. Whew where everything is right at your fingertips 24-7, That in the middle of my sermon today, you could have transformed somebody's life simply because of a message you sent, simply because of something you did. Recognizing these kinds of things, using it and using your tongue, using your pen, using what God has given you to glorify Him, man, all the time. I want to pray a prayer of energy over our body. Just a prayer of energy. That we would not become, and I, I'm, I'm right here with you, man. I, we were raised in the same culture. I, I struggle with laziness in my spirit. And, and coming to things like this, I'm like, when I watch, whew, sometimes when I watch the Holtons, when I watch my friend Ray, it wears me out to think about getting on social media and doing something to uplift people every day. It terrifies me. Why? Because I care too much about what people think of me. I care too much about a lot of that kind of stuff. And it wears me out to even think about engaging in something like that. But I want to pray for energy and strength in God's body today. That we don't think of our spiritual walk with God the way we think of work. Or the way we think of something else. I'm going to engage in it and now I need a break. I'm going to engage in it and now I need a break. I want to be able to say what Paul said, man, I keep working with all of the energy that he supplies so that in every conversation, everything that God has given me, I lift up before him and I say, God, let me keep worshiping you. Let me keep bringing this before you. And finally, I want to pray this, and this is going to be my prayer for you. If if God um, needs to cut you to the heart and there is something that you've accepted in your life that it's just a part of your life and it's a sin that you're cherishing and holding on to and saying, hey, listen, we all have sin. Nobody's perfect. One of these kinds of things. But we haven't learned to really look at it and think this is grotesque. This is sick. This is something that God's got to cut me in my heart and that I've got to drop and let go of. The Corinthian church was set on fire because of Paul's words. Indignation. Eagerness to see justice done. Something, I've got to change this. I see it as it is, and this has got to get away from me. This is sick. Recognizing it, getting cut to the heart. That's what godly sorrow is. And godly sorrow is the most beautiful thing we can experience, whereas worldly sorrow does nothing but corrupt us from the inside out. My prayer is that we would experience what Jesus asked for, godly sorrow. In this world, you will have, you're going to have troubles But take heart. I've overcome that. I've overcome the world. I've given you my spirit. And it is a spirit of transformation. My God, I just want to come before you. And I lift up your people today. And I lift up your church today. And I just pray, God, that you'd cut us to the heart. That if there's sorrow in this room, deep sorrow. I pray that you would somehow... Transform it into something that honors you, even in sorrow. I pray, God, especially when there's something that we're holding on to, something, um, an attitude, sin, all these things, I pray, God, that we would recognize it and see you, and not see sin as simply a legal matter, but see sin as a relational matter, and that we would be cut to the heart. I want to pray, Father, that we would use our social media, and that we would use our relationships and everything, God, to glorify you and to honor you, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to you. Um, God, that we would not run away from these incredible tools you've put in front of us, but we would engage, that we would lift people up and that we would strengthen people and that you would use us as instruments of righteousness before your throne. Uh, God, I love you for giving us a family, for giving us a body here, and I pray that your spirit would preserve us Um, that we would not think like this world thinks, but you would renew our minds, um, and that you would heal us from the hurt that is inside. Remind us of your promises and the certainty of them. I love you, God, for for your words, um, especially your words of rebuke. It's in Christ's name we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.